Hello and welcome to Jumpstart Weekly, the weekly manga podcast where we read all the chapters from Shonen Jump on Viz's website, as well as something else. This week we are reading Volume 1 of Assassination Classroom. I'm your host, Jeremy. And I'm your host, Kevin. And we don't have like 50,000 different things to talk about in Shonen Jump because we pared down, and now it feels really tiny. Eh, it'll be fine. Part of that is because I didn't take notes on everything, and I feel underprepared, but it's fine. It'll be fine. I don't ever take notes. Yeah, well, that's the difference between you and me. Yes. So first up, One Piece is back this week with chapter 946, Queen vs. Olin. What did you think about this chapter of One Piece, Kevin? I thought it was pretty interesting. I definitely think it's a misnomer because Queen versus Olin implies that they have a fight and really all Olin does is like throw Queen around for three panels and then he's like just gone. I found it really disappointing. Like I was really looking forward to One Piece this week after it was gone last week, but very rarely am I like left this way by a chapter of One Piece. A lot of the art seemed really unclear. I did like Big Mom just like manhandling Queen. Yeah, that part worked well for me but then the rest of it where she turns on luffy like not that that's bad obviously things have to get worse for luffy but giving her this weird amnesia plot and then just sending her after luffy again seemed kind of not backwards to me but almost defies the point of her giving her amnesia in the first place well i like it because at first they think oh no she's mad at luffy because he mentioned how good the oshikura was but then it's why did you eat all of it? I was going to share it with the villagers, and that's totally not a big mom thing to do. That is true, and I did like that little bit as well. While I did have that problem with Big Mom, what really disappointed about about this chapter was the art. Like once Big Mom and Luffy start, they don't really fight either. But once they start fighting, for lack of better word, I felt like the art got really messy. In particular, the end where like Luffy does a key blast. Basically, I, it was only because the writing implied that, that I could even really tell what was going on. Well, I think that was supposed to be the point, was even Luffy didn't realize that he did it. Maybe. It just, like, I had to read it three or four times, and, like, it just came off as a real confused mess, which One Piece typically doesn't. That's one of the reasons it's consistently so high on my jump card lists. I gotcha. I didn't have any of those problems, so I really rather liked One Piece. I like the fact that I go to the flowers like, nope, I'm going to stand here and you're going to protect me because the greatest strength is shown in times of dire need. So it's like, all right, we're doing a trial by fire right now. And Luffy's like, what kind of training is this? Yep. And we also get a bit with Caribou and how apparently he's disabled all of their Dendan Mushi snails. Yes. So they can't, like, communicate that what's going on. And the cell with the old samurai who eats fish has been destroyed. Yes. I love, I don't remember the ninja's name, but he's Rizo. like, I shall finally get the key to let you free. And he's already <laughs> free. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to happen with One Piece. I actually enjoyed this one. I am still looking forward to it. One Piece is great. But this chapter, just like, especially for a chapter of One Piece, was really disappointing. Next up, we have Demon Slayer Chapter 163, Overflowing Heart, which I actually liked quite a bit, even though it's a very, like, it's very much a beat chapter, I feel like. Yeah. And that after they defeat the Upper Moon 2, this is like an exhale, a slow one. It's yeah. It's just all about emotions, but that's kind of what I'm here for. So Yeah, I really liked the emotional impact of this chapter. I liked how apparently the Upper Moon 2 and the girl he ate who poisoned him are like in kind of a purgatory together for a little bit. Yep. And he's like, yeah, I was always kind of an asshole. I never really had human emotions, but I think I might be in love with you. Like, you want to get coffee or something? Yep. And she's like, um, rotten hell. 
<laughs> yep. I don't remember her exact word. I should have written it down, but. Because it's something along the lines of him going, hey, you want to go to hell with me? Yeah. And she was like, no, essentially. <laughs> I, I do forget the exact line. And then we have a touching Star Wars moment with the ghost of sister's past. Yes. Helping out the younger one that's still alive who lost the vision in her right, right, eye. right I, eye. I did write that down. Although it seemed kind of vague to me. I wrote that down, but it seems like it might be temporary. I could see it either way. She might be able could just be a weird translation quirk, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're definitely the art showed that like the eye was something was wrong with it. So maybe she can get it healed. But for right now, at least she's blind in her right eye. Yeah. And, you know, Skay is just like having like sad emotions about finding out he had a mom. Yep. Are these flashbacks the things we've seen before with him and Tanjiro? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we've seen him and Tanjiro being like, well, you had to have a mom. He was like, nope, I didn't. I was raised by boars. He's like, well, uh, you had to have a mom. Nope. So yeah, I really like the emotional beats of Demon Slayer this week. Me too. So next we have My Hero Academia, chapter 233, Bright Future. There is some good stuff in here, but I get it kind of was like, last week I really liked My Hero Academia, and this week I just, it was a regular chapter again. And like I said, this arc hasn't super been my favorite. I yep. do like the very beginning with twice having to make a copy of Toga to give her a blood transfusion. Yep. Which is extra ironic given Toga's powers. Yes. And I also liked Toga being like, I know you'll never let me take my me take your measurements because you're a girl. But this is the, you know, the best person to get a blood transfusion from is yourself. Yeah. We also find Redestro is basically the Hulk. Yep. The more stressed out he gets, the more powerful he becomes. Yeah, we have some more explanation of quirks this chapter, which was pretty cool. So the the guy that I thought, the kind of orator speaker guy, actually does have some kind of quirk for riling up the crowd. Yeah. And he's got a cool, what's the guy's name? Mega Mike? No. I know who you mean, but I can't. The teacher. I can't think of his name. It's not Crazy Mike. No. Sonic Mike? No. no. Something Mike. I think, yeah, it's something, Mike. Announcer uh, guy. Announcer guy. He's got this cool, like, amplifier headset thing that I thought looked pretty neat. It's, like, basically just a bunch of speakers around his mouth, but I just thought the the look of it looked pretty sweet. So, Redestro pulls off either Tomura's hand or his double's hand. I wasn't really sure which. I'm going to guess it's his hand, because if he pulled off the double's hand, it oh, would have dissipated. Okay, that makes sense. It just felt kind of weird to me. I was like, okay, but like, is that actually the double? Is there, are we faking it out? But I guess not. And Tober is gaining the power to disintegrate things he's not touching. Yep. Because everyone's getting an anime power up here. Yeah. And the cliffhanger is basically Gigantimachia draws near. Yep. As there's an earthquake nearby. So I didn't dislike this chapter of My Hero Academia, but I found it to be pretty average. Okay. What did you feel about it? Like I said, I liked it. I liked the explanation of more of the quirks. I did like the bit with Toga and Twice at the start, but it wasn't, I don't think it was quite as good as last week's with a cliffhanger, so. So next we have Samurai 8 Chapter 7, Encounter, which actually answers a lot of the questions I kind of had from last week, so. Yep. In a reverse sense, I actually like this chapter of Samurai 8 a lot more, especially since I really just like Princess Anne. I think she might be my favorite character. Yeah. Just because she's such a kind of klutzy ditz. She's very much in like the Sailor Moon archetype. Yep. Which gives her a lot of personality, especially since she's supposed to be a princess. Basically, 
the like I guess the government, the princesses, like the head princess, Princess Un, yep. finds out about Hachimaru and he's like, What is this thing's deal? So she calls her boss from space and she's like, Yeah, it's a new samurai named Hachimaru. He's a kid and he's really strong, and that's kinda all we know. Yep. His princess will be like drawn to him, so you should follow her to figure out what's going on. Yeah. So they go to find Anne in the middle of a flower arrangement like class. And everyone, you know, all the other princesses are making these beautiful flower arrangements. And Princess Anne is making this like demon boar <laughs> flower thing. Yeah. It, I, we don't really see much of it because just the way it's shot, she's kind of in the way of it. But it definitely gives the right impression. Yeah. I also really like that it's answered my question about is there only like one samurai per planet? No, there are just a bunch of princesses. Yep. That's fine. So she is drawn to Hachimaru. Like, apparently she used to be drawn to the orb that he found. Yep. And basically, Hachimaru is just having trouble with his training. He can't get his sword to be straight. He can't, like, wear his armor properly. Yeah. Well, I like... So they're showing that Hachimaru is just very impatient about everything. He's like, I can't get my sword to work. And he's like, well, I mean, you need to keep... His sensei's like, well, you need to keep working at it. No, let's try armor now. He's like, that's not going to be any better. Like... Learn one thing. Don't go, well, I can't learn this thing. I'm going to learn this other thing and then expect that to work. So, yeah, then Anne shows up and we kind of see their, not even their first reactions to each other, but we just see them seeing each other for the first time. And then we cut to space where a bunch of bad guys want to find the eighth child. Yep. Because now all of my podcasts are just jokes about the eighth child. Yes. Protect your sister, Ty. So next we have Chainsaw Man Chapter 27 from Kyoto, which I wanted to talk about. Because it's a weird chapter of Chainsaw Man. And I didn't really know what was going on, though. At least I think it's intentional. I I mean, I... There's one detail, I guess. Uh, okay. That I'm real confused on. So, basically, the bad guys are trying to load Denji into a truck so they can escape with him. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Mishima is like, hey, I need a bunch of convicts from death row or who are living life sentences. Like, now. Because I got to do something. Yep. And... We see her like in front of a temple with a bunch of blindfolded convicts and the two other demon slayer or devil hunters. Demon slayers is a different thing. Yes. Are also blindfolded. And they're like, why do we have to be blindfolded? It's like, well, her, the demon she has a contract with, the devil, I'm sorry, the devil she has a contract with is top secret. So, yeah, she's a high level executive. So we don't get to see the devils that she has contracts with. So then she starts like telling the convicts to say people's names and like smashing her hands together. Yep. And we see those people being flattened like they've been smashed. Yep. So I got all that. I What I don't get is how does she know all these people's names? Are we supposed to take it that she has another devil for that? Or does so, she know what's going on? That's the thing that I was like. What's so I on? think it was that she knew some of the people's names. Because remember how she said at the end, this is all that I can do. And not everyone was dead. Like the yeah. snake girl, sword guy, all of, they weren't dead because she didn't know their names. So she must have. I had heard about this organization and or maybe through some weird thing, like when she resurrected herself, interrogated the dudes and found out some people's names. So she's like, these are all the names I know. So I'm going to kill those guys. And that's all I can do. I mean, that makes sense. That's just the one thing I was really confused on everything else. I do kind of wish that the bit you pointed out at the fingers a couple chapters ago. Mm -hmm. I wish there had been something similar to that. The art doesn't look bad when the guys are getting squished. But yeah. I was really hoping for some sort of effect to that effect, I guess. Yeah, like it would have been cool to see. I mean, it's kind of interesting to see them getting crushed by essentially nothing. But it would have been neat to see, even if they made it very faint spectral hands, 
just crushing these dudes mm-hmm. would look pretty cool, I think. I agree. And so we do get a little bit of oh shit moment from the villains. They're like, hey, can we confirm that Mishima's dead? And then as they try to call people, those people are just dying. Yep. They're like, is Mishima dead? Uh, team three, is Mishima dead? I can't get in contact with Team Yeah. So a pretty good chapter of Chainsaw Man. I hope this arc goes better than the last one. Yeah. Because at least it's been exciting so far. Yeah. Which brings us to something completely different. We ever learn chapter 116. The clockwork fireflies yearn for the snow flurries of X part three. Which is more shenanigans because it's we never learn. Yep. But specifically it's Fumio and Yu-Gi-Oh are less kind of blaming themselves for Ogata not showing up to study. Yeah. And they kind of all end up in the school nurse's office? Yeah, it's the... Clinic? Well, it's the... I'm nurse- trying to think of what the uh, word for where the school nurse is is called. The nurse's office. Okay. That just seems weird to me now. I- I'm sure it's always been that way, and it's never weirded me out before and right now, so... It just seems like a They've all wound thing. up in sick bay. I guess the doctor's office is also what you call an actual doctor's office. So. Yeah, so it's just the nurse's office. Yeah. Okay. Anyway... Yu-Gi-Oh is like trying to figure out what's wrong with Ogata while she's there, but then Fumino walks in and like Ogata pulls him into her sheets to hide him. Yeah, well, initially she's trying to hide herself, and somehow Yu-Gi-Oh ends up being the one under the sheets with her head poking up because yeah. she's like, "I don't want to see Fumio right now." Yeah. So they end up talking, and then Fumino sees that Yu-Gi-Oh is under there, like nestled into her breast, because of course he is. Where else would he be? Yeah. Well, no. At first, it's Yugi is the one who throws off the blanket because Furnashi grabs his hand and then he starts noticing that he's getting really close to being able to see under her skirt. And he's like, I just can't handle this. Yeah. So anyway, they have a discussion where Ogato admits, I want to be like you, Fumino, but like it just feels so far away. So I can't really I don't want to be with you. Yep. It actually has a nice ending where like Yugi shows up at her Udon shop in a Santa outfit. He's like, I made a game test for you. Yes. And uh, the game is that if you like yourself by the end of it, I win. And if not, you win. Yep. Which is an interesting premise. And I assume is going to go into more of that, the stuff with the grandma that you were talking about last week, because we do get a little bit of that this week again. Yeah. Where Gato's like, yeah, in the end, I said I didn't like her and then she died. I feel awful about that. Well, it wasn't just I said I didn't like her. It's that she was growing more and more distant. Like she didn't even want to play games with me and she didn't want to talk to me and she became more distant. So that's why I said I hate her. And it's that classic, you know, I got angry at my parent, father figure, whatever, parent figure, and said something mean, and then they passed away right then. So the kid just feels emotionally crushed, like, I I can't believe the last thing I ever said to her was, I hate you. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to the next chapter, but, like, every kind of middle chapter of this Ogata arc has just felt really... I don't know. Not blase is the wrong word, but really water tready to me in a way that I really, really like the other arcs with the other characters. Yeah, this was after the second one being kind of just a little bit more of the same of the first and this one being a little bit more of that. It's like, okay, did we really need three chapters to kind of go over the same thing? Yeah. I mean, again, I think all the points are valid, but yes, we're going through them a lot slower than we never learn usually does. Yeah. Anything else to say about that? No, we never learned, no. Well, that brings us to Act Age, Chapter 70, The Outside. Have we talked about Act Age as a full chapter before? I think we have. Yeah. We're doing it every week now, so that'll be different. 
But yeah, I we have definitely I definitely called it at yeah, one you're, point you're or right. another. You definitely did. Yeah, because when they were doing the movie, we definitely talked oh, yeah. about that. So what did you think of Act Age? Because I don't really know what to say about it to start. I definitely liked it. It's pretty high on my list. I really liked this chapter of Act Age because it takes the shonen manga protagonist doing crazy things and to the, the next level. It doesn't even the next level. It's just that she's acting about that and like definitely that's the same vibe I got. So I'm glad you said that because you put it into words in a way I couldn't. But like basically the director slash writer's like, hey, Kay, can you shoot beams out of your hands? And she's like, um, no. It's like, well, the method acting isn't really going to work, is it? Well, and that's, that's not literally what she says. Well, but. that's also not because she's like, because Kay has this moment where she starts method acting being Princess Iron Fan and literally banishes the clouds away. She's like, wow, it's like I banished the clouds away. And part of me is going, wait, did she actually banish the clouds away? Or is this this kind of manga where she can literally generate superpowers for herself when she gets into an acting role? That sounds awesome. Or was it just like happenstance and was like, that's just what it looked like. And that's you just need to have that feeling of I can do anything. I took it as a ladder, but it's definitely vague enough that it could be either, and I caught on to that and thought it was really cool, but I definitely took it as she's just acting here. Especially because we find out that the writer slash director is, like, not lost in her own fantasy land, but she kind of wants to be. Like, she had basically an imaginary friend when she was young that well, was this type of fairy. Yeah. The other thing is I don't want to immediately shoehorn act age into that that isn't real like maybe the director's thoughts are actually correct and it's like everyone used to tell me i couldn't see fairies but she really could and then she's like i need to gain regain my childlike innocence so that i can see my fairy friend again and maybe she'll actually be able to do that like maybe the maybe the manga will actually shift into that direction which i think would be neat i agree with you but i think for now while we're discussing it we should take it as like less literal yeah, until, and that's totally fine. Until, like, the magic actually shows up. It's not going to be like that chapter of We Never Learned where ghosts were real and I was super thrown off by it. Yeah. Because they are laying this groundwork here. But I think for the time being, because it's about acting and fantasy, we should take it as, like, there are no superpowers. You know, except for super charisma and the power of method acting. Yes, but I definitely like that they're kind of leading with this, that... The director, even if it's just a metaphor, the director's like, I just need to regain my childlike innocence so that I can see my fairy friend. But really, it's like getting in touch with my inner child and the fact that it could be grounded in reality or it could be this fantasy thing. And I don't really know which one it is. And I really like the fact that I was kind of like, wow, this is really cool that I have this, like the manga has these two directions to go. There's even like a spiritual faithful aspect to it because it's more about like having to believe in it. Yeah. And this chapter in particular is really about her trying to get Kay to believe in, like, the supernatural and the possibility to, yep. like, open up to her ability to act. Yeah. So, like I said, I thought this one was really cool. Speaking of really cool, that leads us to the last Sayuki, Chapter 16, A Shining Star in Broad Daylight, which is just kind of the conclusion to, like, what we've been setting up so far. Yeah. It wasn't road or anything. There's a really cool page in the middle where Estelle, like, wax the monster into Ryanosuke baseball style and he yep. like swings it out of the park which is nice and it's subtle because they don't bring up the old like how much he liked baseball stuff when it happens yeah it just kind of does yeah it's just him going 
oh wow, that was a really nice pitch or a really nice lob or something like like I think I think he uses the word pitch in the translation. Yeah. I think that was a really nice pitch, and then he knocks and he's like, I think he says home run or something like that, like let's knock it out of the park. I think he said let's knock it out of the park. Okay, but it's definitely more subtle because I just when I was about to talk about it, remembered. Oh yeah, Ranowski is like super into baseball. Yeah. But the most of the fight is about them having to work together. Like, there's a bit where it kicks up a standstorm, and Kohaku, like, has to warn us, hey, it's on your left. Yep. And then there's a really good, like, visual gag at the end when Estelle's like, hey, I just remembered what happened right when you rescued me. Where, like, uh, Kohaku and Ryanosuke, like, as a unit, turn this, like, sheer white. Like, it's yep. really hard to describe because it's completely visual. Yes. But, you know, it's a super common anime and manga joke that just i felt like it was executed super super well because of the art yeah i really liked the ending gag where she's like so did we uh uh yeah 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 we did that that's that's fine i i guess (laughs) and just like the whole presentation of that was just excellent yeah and probably the best part of the chapter honestly because the rest of it was pretty typical fighting a big monster stuff yeah but there was there was definitely some cool shots in there, but I think it was the end that I really liked. And that brings us to the Promised Neverland Chapter 139, Demon Search Part 2, which kind of turns all the tension from last week's chapter right on its head. Yeah. I didn't dislike it, but it was a weird release of tension, and that made me see the kind of cliffhanger coming from a mile away, because you have yeah. to add it back in. But I did really like the middle of the chapter. Yes. So basically, Ash kind of is like yeah i can talk i just didn't want to talk to them because like yes i was raised by a demon but like he was actually trying to raise me right yeah he was he was still my dad even it's like yeah well he ate people i was like yeah but he was still my dad like he wasn't an asshole to me yeah he was my dad he just happened to be a demon and we see him being like uh, this weird goofy shonen anime protagonist be like oh man i guess i'll raise her like a dog man what do humans eat what do humans wear how do i humans yes which is like, yeah, I like had no reason to talk to them because I want to murder them all. But like you didn't kill a demon for no reason. And like I can tell you want to protect these two demons hereafter. Yep. So like, what's the deal with that? And they're like, yeah, we do want to kill most demons, but not we, these two. Yeah, we realize that not all demons are bad. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, like actually this is the best case scenario for us. Like, it's going to be weird when she clearly wants to murder Norman later, but yes. at least in the short term, this is, like, way better than we could have hoped for. Yeah. So, of course, the cliffhanger is the kind of doofusy kid who's been, like, trying to act like he's a bumbling idiot. He's not, like, actually super competent and evil, but he's in communication with a bunch of, like, very large thugs. They're not yes. drawn, like, the normal style. I like them, but, like, they're very striking. They look inhumanly large. Yeah, it's the kid Adam. Yeah, oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, it's well, people like that kid. Okay, Adam. That I don't. I, I'm assuming he's not part of the group. Um, maybe he is, but he has that look of it. Looks like you roided out a baby. Is the way like they have very tiny heads? Yeah, and it's like you just roided out this baby, which is probably honestly what they did. Just roided out small children to be six feet tall. So like a lot of their features don't look right, but they're just hugely heavily muscled. So yeah, the cliffhanger is basically just they're being stalked by a whole bunch of murder babies. Yes. Which I don't dislike, and I did like this chapter actually a lot more than last week, which, like I said, had a weird offness to it to me. Mm-hmm. But like, as soon as I saw the, like, oh, this is actually good for us twist, I immediately saw the how this is going to be bad for us twist coming. 
But it does make Ash a more interesting character because she's still long-term a weird threat since she wants to kill Norman. Yes. But that's not really gone into here. And short-term, she's like a huge asset to them. Yeah. Which is cool because I like her character design a lot. Yeah. I honestly, I knew that there was some kind of twist coming up, but I didn't know it was going to be the bumbling idiot with... Well, I didn't know it was going to be murder babies, but I'm like, I, I get the other person with them is the one who's actually a threat. I honestly, just like Don and Gilda had the idea that I was thinking that he was going to capture them when they got back and do something like maybe with that demon experiment thing that that guy was doing. That was my thought was like, oh, so he actually did want them to be found maybe so he that to capture them and not kill them. Yeah. Plus, he do- he also doesn't know that Anna is evil or Anna is sympathetic towards demons. Yeah. Like she pretends like she isn't. So, I mean, he's super intelligent, but that was my thought was, oh, I'm going to capture them when they come back, do some weird experiment and use their blood to kill all the demons. I just narratively, there needs to be a more immediate threat than that. And that's why that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it makes sense now. I just that's what I thought the thing was. I thought it was basically going to be like we were just kind of yada yada them finding Sonia and Mikuji. I'm probably pronouncing that horribly wrong, but the two demons like, oh, yeah, we found the two demons. And then they just make it back in like essentially flashback form. And then they activate Norman's trap card, steel cage. Yep. <laughs> All right. So last but not least, you wanted to talk about Hell's Paradise Chapter 60. Yep. Which actually was a kind of fun chapter. Again, I really like the middle bits of it, but not so much the beginning or end bits. But it was a lot I actually more. Like the end bits. It was a lot more readable than Hell's Paradise often is. Because if you've heard us talk about it before. Usually they're like, man, we don't know what's going on. Yep. I feel like I have a lot more grasp of what's going on since we've been reading it. I still haven't got caught up. And just like you said, it felt a lot more readable, which is why I wanted to talk about it. So all of the prisoners that were on the first wave to the island are working on... All right, so we need to break into Lord Tenson's palace, essentially, to steal the elixir of life. And then we need to secure an escape route off the island. So we're going to break up into two teams, a palace infiltration team and an escape route team. And they're like, all right, we're going to go through some training on how to use subterfuge and tau manipulation. And so I love the gag where the the one girl steals somebody else's glasses to yeah. look like a teacher. And that's, I feel like, the bulk of the middle of the manga. And yes. she's just like going on, like trying to teach them. And, you know, she's just doing some typical sexy teacher stuff, which, but I think it works because it's so off tone from what Hell's Paradise normally is. Yep. That it actually, like, the humor really comes out. Yeah. And, and then the other ninja whose name I should know because he's essentially the main character. Yes. At least as far as I can tell right now is like, do I have to wear the glasses when I teach too? Yes. And so we have that bit. And then he's like going through explanations of like, all right, so dislocate your shoulders uh, <laughs> and dislocate your neck. And like, we can't do that. He's like, well, in my village, those who could not died. <laughs> yeah. But he started off with just like, just dislocate, dislocate your shoulder. And then you can start getting that feeling of relaxedness. And then he's like, all right. And then now just dislocate your neck. And just like you said, <laughs> everyone in my village who couldn't died. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So I really like that. So they end up splitting up into two teams and the infiltration team is the two teachers. So the shinobi guy and sexy teacher lady and one other person. We'll call them Bob for now. (laughs) You just one other person. And then everyone else is on the escape plan team. And at first they're like, what? I thought the teams were going to be balanced. 
And he was like, well, the if the infiltration team is gigantic, it's going to be way harder to find them. Plus, the escape route team has to do two different tasks. So we're actually split into essentially three teams. Two teams, one to secure the escape route and one to secure an escape vehicle. And then the infiltration team. And the thing that I actually really liked, not just besides the the whole readability of the chapter and the funny bits in the middle were the thing at the end with the little girl who's apparently grown up on the island is how I'm reading that. And I definitely like that bit, too. I'll let you go into it in a minute. Sure. I just feel like if this was something where I had been reading all of Hell's Paradise, it would have had a lot more of an effect on me because it's still I still enjoyed it just as was. But I had to kind of try to fill in all the context as I was reading it because I I'm sure we've seen this character before. Yeah, she's the one she's the one that speaks in that weird cadence. Yeah. But like most of the other characters I can read now is okay, that's that ninja guy with all the powers. She's the cowardly lady that just wants to escape. He's the kind of uh blind samurai guy. But like this one I don't have any context for really. I mean for me she's the little girl with the weird speaking cadence. Oh, and that's fine, but even to me she was not yet. Gotcha. And now she's probably gonna be the little girl who wants to meet up with the Lord Tensons, because she was raised here. Yep. So it turns out she was raised here. I mean if you've been reading since the beginning, probably knew that already. And she wants to go see Lord Tenson and someone else in the palace. And she's like, well, they raised me and they were kind. And I really want to ask them, why did they stop? Like, they used to be so kind and nice. Why did they turn evil? Like, that's why I left and that's why I'm trying to leave with you guys. But I can't leave without knowing why did they stop being kind? And it's very childlike and innocent. And I just, I really like the emotional moment of like everyone in the group understanding. Well, yeah, of course we'll let you do that. Even though it's the most ridiculous thing ever. And it's super dangerous. We're going to help you talk to these people to ask your question of why did you suddenly become mean? Well, and even the more jaded ones are at least like, yeah, we we understand like if you don't at least try, you're not going to be able to live a normal life because it's going to constantly be on your mind. Yeah. And so I just, I really liked that bit of it. So like you, I wish I'd been reading from the beginning and it would have had more impact. But even without really knowing anything, I still felt the impact of that chapter. All right. So that does it for the chapters we're going to go into detail on. And that brings us to Jump Card. Jump card is the segment where we rank all the chapters that came out this week on a scale from worst to best, just like they do in Japan in the Shonen Jump vote cards. So, what do you have at number 17, Kevin? At number 17, I have Tokyo Shinobi. Oh, wow, that low, huh? It's very, it's very low for me, too. But I, I got annoyed at a lot of aspects of it, So, and I'm like, all right, so like nothing's really happening. Yeah, I like the bit with N where they're like, hey, can you memorize this? And like, here, this is how you can be useful to us. I did like that. And there were some subtle things with Jin. I didn't put it very high. Either. Yeah. It's not like, oh, this turned me around a Tokyo Shinobi squad. It was mostly pretty boring. The fight seems to be happening just because there has to be an anime fight. 
the like and then honestly, mustache twirlingly evil doctor is like I can buy in a shadow run setting. Yes, this is the only place this data is stored. That's like a weird thing that wouldn't happen in the real world that fits the setting. But everything else what? about the scenario is just really mustache twirly. Even then, even in the real world, that actually makes kind of sense. Like, essentially, I stole the master files, destroyed all the copies, and only have this one hard copy available because it's a top secret document. I guess what is the real problem to me is his motivation doesn't make sense because he's like, I can make way more money selling this to terrorists to make super soldiers. I'm like, yes, I'm sure you could, but you could make more money if you sell it to terrorists and pharmaceutical companies. Yes. Like, I... And... Just little things like that really bogged me down with the chapter, with him being like, ha, because this is the only copy, Jin can't be throwing electricity all around. It's like, but but I thought, I mean, I guess he uses magnetism, so it's like that would also be damaging that, to computers. Yes. But it was like, so that's why I've set up this ambush here. What, what stops him from just killing you? Like The guy he has. <laughs> That's not in the room at the start? <laughs> yeah, it's not. Look, I did not like it either. So all those little things, even with it's like, hey, and here you can finally be useful. It's like, oh, can you memorize this thing? And they're just like, all right, so I brought all these goons and they're all just destroyed because they're goons. It's like, but this doesn't seem like it seemed like a stupid villain plan that even seems stupid to the villains. Yeah. So why did you go through with it? I also put it very low, but at the very bottom, of I have Haikyuu. Because this is like the big climax of the volleyball game we've been in for the last like 10-ish weeks. Mm -hmm. And I just felt nothing from it. Yeah. And it's like, not very high for me either. And like with Tokyo Shinobi Squad, at least it's like the start of a two-part story. Or I guess the middle of a three-part story, more likely. Yeah. And I can at least see where they're going. Whereas this, like, this should be the one where I, at least I'm like, well, at least we're done with this. And I just felt nothing from it. Yeah. So my number 16 was Double Taisei. Hey, mine too. Again, similar feelings. I just felt nothing from it. Nope. We now have that switch and we have like Tai and Sei trying to find what they're going to do now, but I just don't care. I just don't care. And it seems like Tai doesn't care either. Yeah. It's like, wait, so I'm, I'm confused. They're like, shouldn't you, like, I kind of understand Sei's frustration of like, all he said was like, hey, I'm back and then hasn't said anything since. And it's like, wait, I thought you guys were closer and didn't Ty want, say, to play him super badly and now he can, but he, he, I'm just, I'm lost, so. And say decides to, like, take the shogi more seriously and do it for himself, which I, like, see on an outline why you put that here, but he's had so many chances and so many failures already that the stakes don't feel right. Like, there's not even a mention of, like, he can't lose any more games. Yeah. Which even that would have made it feel more tense, but... Yeah, it seems like, oh, well, I mean, you know, if he fails this one, he'll have another 20 chances, so it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, exactly. So my number 15 was Haikyuu. Mine was Tokyo Shinobi Squad. Okay, yeah. For a lot of the same reasons, for me, it was just, I guess the reason that Haikyuu went a little bit higher, it was that climax of the arc, and I didn't care that much, but I at least felt just a little bit of something. And so that's why I went a little bit higher versus Tokyo Shinobi Squad just kind of needled me to the bottom. Like, hey, here's this glaring, like, not this glaring problem, but like, uh, here's a little problem and here's another little problem and another little problem. And eventually I was just like, just just stop poking me. Yeah. Well, that's how I always feel about Tokyo Shinobi Squad, to be frank. I mean, I was super interested in the first chapter and it's just going downhill. I mean, I, I, I'm a little afraid maybe I ruined it for you because I felt that way in the first chapter and we talked about it. And I feel like no, I, I I didn't think the first chapter was amazing. Like, 
I remember I ranked it higher than you, but not much higher than the other stuff that I liked. It was like, well, I mean, the premise seems super cool. And I even remember mentioning, I hope it pulls a Samurai 8. And the first chapter, just not a weird dud, but just didn't hold essentially what the story was going to be, which is not a poor first chapter. It was just kind of, there was a, just a slight tonal shift, but Tokyo Shinobi hasn't had that. So it's like, oh, it's got this cool setting. Yeah, but I could just probably go read, like, Shadowrun fanfiction. Yeah. So my number 14 was Beast Children, because Beast Children. Yeah, I have Beast Children pretty close to that. Is there anything else you want to say about it? It's a sports manga, and this is a sports manga chapter where it turns out the main character is just like in Ice Shield 21, ridiculously fast. I do like that it's specifically he's really fast in short bursts, and that's super important for rugby. Yes. Like, he's not necessarily, like, in Ice Shield 21, the dude has super speed. And there's definitely, I think, comparing this disfavorably to Ice Shield 21 makes a lot of sense. But at least it's a little different in that regard. My number 14 is One Piece because it disappointed me and nothing else in this set of chapters actually disappointed me. Nothing I put above One Piece, I should say. I got you. Um, So it went super low, even though I really like One Piece. Just like the art was really muddled, and I think that's the most important thing in manga. I got you. And again, it disappointed me. And nothing else did, even if it wasn't great. Yep. So my number 13 was Yu Kamiyo, because I'm now even more confused as to... Like what direction it's going? What direction the manga is going. It's like, wait, are I now shifting into this weird supernatural, super serious thing? Because Yui is being hunted by ghosts, essentially. I put Yui Kamiyo much higher, because I... Like I said from the start, Yui Kamiyo is a series of like, I feel like I'm very hot and cold on. Some weeks are hits, some weeks are duds, but I want it to get better. And like, this is a weird direction that could make it better. I can kind of see what the like structure is, Mm -hmm. even though it's a super weird shift. On the other hand, one of the reasons I wanted Yui Kamiyo to be better was it's different than everything else. And I feel like if it continues along this trend, it'll just be typical shonen stuff. That said, if you have a female main character, maybe that actually does make it different enough. Possibly. And I put it much higher, so maybe I'll talk about it more then. But again, I really like the exploration of like Yui Kamiyo's psyche and why she's these two people that continues here. That was interesting, but like I said, a lot of the reason that it went down for me was it's just this weird tonal shift, and I'm not really sure where it's going to go. So maybe it'll be something that I end up liking more later, but it's, it's just very odd. Yeah, I can agree with that. Number 13, I have Beast Children because it's exactly what I expected. Yep. So number 12, I have Dr. Stone. There was a lot of science beauty or beauty science, I guess, thrown out in this chapter. And we have the obligatory turning the main characters into women. Yep. uh, There was definitely some cross-dressing. I was going to say for no reason, but there is kind of a reason. And I do like the end, how that kind of ends up. Yeah. I also really like the gag that runs where Kohaku's hair, like every time they try to smooth it out, it just kind of like cowlicks into anime hair and hits Senku in the face. Yes. I put Dr. Sin a little higher than you. And number 12, I actually have Hell's Paradise. I just don't think I liked it quite as much as you. Again, that ending worked for me, but it didn't really work for me. Yeah. It was more a character establishing moment than anything else. And the humor in the middle worked. It just like I laughed at it, but I didn't find it as funny as Dr. Stone or We Never Learn or the other humor series. Yeah. So, my number 11 was Jujutsu Kaisen, because not a whole lot happens in this. Almost nothing happened, but it was exactly my sort of almost nothing. 
Like, if I was super into Jujutsu Kaisen, this is like the Jujutsu Kaisen fanfic I would write if I was 10 years younger and super into it. Yeah, like, I, it's not like I didn't like it. I just. I did find the ending of the chapter super odd and disappointing. Like, yeah. it feels like a weird, like, cutout of the middle point. Yeah. Like, we're missing something there. Yeah. And the more I think on it, I think, I think I just liked a lot of stuff above better. That's fair. Than a, than I didn't like because I did like the I actually honestly really like the fact that they were all super concerned that this girl who did the super transformation she's all that yeah she she's all that at herself yeah she she's all that at herself and they're like oh no Itadori isn't going to recognize her and he's like oh hey what's up yeah and but it's weird that we cut after that and yes and then it's like so did it go I mean it seemed like it went okay yeah but. So like what happened that like we then cut to them being like oh it's a good thing that didn't yeah happen I don't know either way I thought it was pretty interesting so I did like it at eleven I have Doctor Stone gotcha we just talked about just because I thought it was a little funnier than Hell's Paradise yeah I I have Hell's Paradise at number ten and I don't really have much more to say about it than I did when we were discussing it I have My Hero Academia at number ten mostly I think I was just really disappointed with Redestro be- basically being the Hulk. Not that my hero hasn't copied like American superpowers before. Yeah. That one just was like, oh, I was kind of hoping it would be something more interesting than that. Yeah. I have Chainsaw Man at number nine. Because basically all this was was a cool showcase of Makima's powers. Yeah. Essentially. Which we needed. Kind yeah. Of, it but... was like it was a good chapter. I enjoyed it. But I felt like the emotional beats a lot of, of the other chapters I liked more. I have Jujutsu Kaisen at number nine, and again, I said my piece on that. Gotcha. I have We Never Learned at number eight, because it's... I still really enjoyed it. The shenanigans were funny, but it's, like you said, the pacing is a little slow on this Ogata arc, but I am really excited to see the personality quiz game that Yugi is... I'm excited for next chapter. This chapter wasn't great. Uh, But uh, number eight, I have Chainsaw Man. Again, not much more to say about it. I think that's going to be a lot, because uh, my number seven might be your number eight. Possibly. My number seven was actually Samurai 8. Gotcha. I actually put Samurai 8 pretty high this week. Yeah. I think it just kind of irritated me, Hachimaru's impatience. Like, I realize that's his character flaw, but for whatever reason, that just really rubbed me the wrong way. It's weird, because there's so little of it, too. Like, I can definitely see where you're coming from. Well, this chapter specifically, it, with him being like, oh, well, I haven't learned how to use the sword, I'll use armor. And he, like, interrupts somebody in the midst of talking with his sensei, telling him, hey, stop that, you know, you're being a rude brat. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's definitely, I don't know. I didn't put it higher because of Hachimaru, is I guess what I'll say. Yeah. But it's just weird that that stuck out to you so much, I guess. I think some of it is because I do do martial arts training, and yeah. so, like, disrespecting your sensei like that is extremely disrespectful. Yeah. And so that just, that rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I again, I get it, that's his character flaw, but that just really bothered me, so it put it down just a little bit. Also, at number seven, I have We Never Learn. Gotcha. I have My Hero at number six. I thought it was pretty cool getting some more explanation of people's powers and... I did, I liked the Tomura and Twice Bit, or not Tom. yeah, Tomura. Yeah. No. Toga. Toga, yes. That's the Toga one. and Twice Bit, and... That was the best part of it to me, and I think as the chapter starts with it, it kind of felt downhill after that. A little bit, 
I still thought it was cool getting more of an explanation on that order guy's powers. Like, that was pretty neat. And I did like the bit in the middle with Spinner, where it's like, my quirk is I can stick to walls. And, like, that's it. And so we finally actually find out what his quirk is. Because I don't think we've ever known before. I don't think so either. And so I just kind of liked, I really liked his pluck with, listen, I realize I'm basically useless. But that doesn't, just because I'm, like, uh, average nobody doesn't mean I can't do anything. And so I liked that bit as well. I had Yui Kamiya at number six. Again, I'm really interested to see where this is going. And I like, like, the introduction of more monks. I kind of like, you kind of saw this in the last chapter and I didn't. But the fact that the monk she's talking to isn't, like, an outright antagonist in any way. Yeah. He honestly, especially at the end of this chapter, seems more like... It seems more like the people that originally bind her weren't necessarily the antagonists either. They were just kind of like bumbling idiots. And he's the like, wow, you guys really screwed up. Yeah. And I do like that, like the son of the person who did it gets to come in as this weird bumbling idiot exposition machine. Yeah. And the design on the weird monsters that are going to have to be fine. I also I thought it was suitably creepy. Yes, they're very creepy. So I have act agent number five. Me too. I, just, I really enjoyed this chapter, and it was just a lot of, like I said when I was talking about, I really like the fact that it could be, it's shifting into the supernatural thing where you're acting so powerful you can shoot laser beams out of your eyes if your character can. Or I it's just going to be. I have seen some stuff to that degree already on a yeah. much smaller scale. Yeah, so maybe it's going to do that, or maybe it's just if you believe hard enough, you can make people believe that you can do that. So, like, you can method act hard enough to make people believe that you become princess iron fan and you almost don't need the special effects in order to make it work yeah my number four was the promised neverland it was a pretty solid chapter i liked it and i don't really have much more to say other than what we discussed when we were talking about it my number four is demon slayer again i really like the emotional content of it i really liked like the like purgatory bits but it was just a beat chapter yeah so my number three was One Piece. I liked it a lot more than you because yes. it's either that I didn't feel like that the muddled art bothered me that much or I didn't feel like it was as muddled as you thought. One of the two. I don't know which. And the thing I really liked, the kind of amnesia turn on Olin where she's kind of back to being herself before she turned crazy. That's true. Like the child self that we've seen in flashbacks. Yeah, where it's like she she super loves food because that's just who she is always. But when she was a kid, she enjoyed sharing her food, too. Like, it's not like I enjoyed food. I enjoyed mealtime. Like, I enjoyed eating with all of my friends and sharing this good food and seeing all these smiles on people's faces. Even as a pirate, she's kind of like that. Like, when she, like, is having Sanji and Pudding's wedding, it's not like she intends to eat that cake completely herself. She just has those, like, psychotic snaps. Yeah, so it's... And I like the fact that she kind of she went through that trauma and so she's got this like very jaded aspect of herself that we see as Big Mom. And then when she's a Lin, she's the much nicer. She still has that psychotic snap of, I can't believe you ate all the Oshikuro. I wanted to share that with the villagers. They were so nice to me kind of thing. And I'm really looking forward to Luffy doing the cool energy punch thing. I'm I'm sitting here making a gesture. Yeah, you're doing key blast motions. Yeah, but because it seems to me very similar to what Rayleigh did to release the slave collars. Um, that would make sense. Or even kind of you could retcon it to be like what Shanks did in chapter one. 
even though then it was more about like I guess that was more about like the hockey of the king. Yeah. But it just I'm really interested to see where that goes and I like I really like Hayagoro's thing of like uh your greatest strength comes out in moments of direst need. Like the best way to figure out just how strong you are is when you're in that life or death situation. We can try and fake it with training as much as possible, but she is going to kill you or she's going to kill me unless you do something about it. So you need to do something about it. My number three is Samurai 8, just because I really like Princess Anne and this is a real showcase of her. And it answered a lot of the questions I ended up with last chapter that I was kind of confused on. I got So it did more subtle world building and really short stuff up. Yeah. So my number two is Demon Slayer. Even though it was just a beat chapter, I really liked the emotional impact of it. I really liked Anosuke kind of breaking down that manly facade that he puts up where he's like, I'm this crazy person and, you know, I don't have a mom. I was raised by beasts. And it was just kind of that breakdown of like, wait, I am a person. And I just, I really liked that. I really liked the emotional beats of pretty much the entire chapter. And I did love the bit with the demon being like, well, I've never had human emotions, but I think I might be in love with you. And her just being like, oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I, I could not think of something less appealing. Yep. My number two is Promise Neverland. It, I'm struggling to even say why exactly. I definitely liked it more than Samurai 8. I guess I really just liked Ash's backstory and that we did at least keep the tension up, even if I saw it coming. Yeah. There was a lot of people, there was a lot of family member emotional impact backstory in this issue of Shonen Jump, now that I think about it. Yes. It was a very slow issue. Like, my number one, it's your number one as well. I feel yep. like I got there kind of by default, just because nothing knocked my socks off, even though I liked almost everything pretty well. Like, One Piece is down at 14. Yeah. And everything above that I liked, and One Piece is still One Piece. So, yeah. It's not like I was disappointed to have to read One Piece. Yeah. I was like, three out of 17 ain't bad for things I genuinely didn't like. And even Haikyuu was just... Not, I didn't like it. It just left me completely flat in a moment that should have been should have made me feel something. Yeah, you recognize that it it was the conclusion of this big thing, and you're like, but I have no emotional investment in this character, so who cares? Yeah, so number one's the last Sayuki. Yeah, I think like the action scene was a little generic. Like the art's still really good though. Yes, and like I said, that one gag, like Kohaku and Rienosuke's reaction, and like the fact that they react as a unit, like we kissed her rather than. Like, well, Ryanosuke's the one who actually did it. Yeah. No, and the gag was definitely what pushed it over the edge for me. It was like, I was enjoying the chapter up till then. And then there was that gag at the end. I was like, oh, man, that was so good. And I like how ambiguous it is. Like, Estelle could be, like, disappointed that they're like, oh, no, it's just... They both both have the embarrassment blush lines. Yeah. Um, But it's really hard to read, like, where they are, why they're embarrassed about it. Yes. And I like that, too. Yeah. It's just very good. Still liking Last Sayuki. And honestly, I still really liked this issue of Shonen Jump. It was that slower beat in the story for a lot of the chapters. And I honestly think that ended up working well for the issue itself because I didn't have like one chapter at an emo, you know, kind of this climax of an arc, emotional high. Well, we should have had it with Haikyuu, though. It was the like, yeah, but cover it, chapter. Uh, yeah, and I, it didn't I don't work care. For us. I don't care about that. But the chapters that I actually enjoyed were all kind of in a very similar spot in their story. So I didn't have this weird 
shift between, all right, so I'm going to read the climax of Black Clover and like the downbeat of Demon Slayer. And you say that, but Last Sayuki's also kind of a climax, not of the arc, but of this like bit in the arc of this fight. It is, but it has that, I don't know, I felt like the climax was a bit earlier and this was more the conclusion. Like last chapter was the climax and this chapter was just kind of the conclusion like as weird as that sounds the fight wasn't what was important at all yeah. in last sayuki so it was like and then they defeated the monster just like almost every other time they fought the monster this time it wasn't a sneak attack from off panel but defeating the monster hasn't been the focus of last sayuki at all so the emotional climax was last chapter last chapter with estelle getting the nerve to go fight the monster and then it was like and then we're at the downbeat of her actually fighting the monster as weird as that sounds for a shonen manga but the downbeat was the actual fight as opposed to picking up the will to fight because usually it's the other way around most shonen protagonists always have the will to fight and the fight is the emotional thing yeah i guess i'm not saying that was a bad uh, issue of shonen jump or anything like that but i guess what i'm saying is that my number one and my number 14 were actually pretty close which yeah. almost never happens. There are almost always like stair steps in. We're like, there are definitely groups of three or four chapters that are pretty close. But I gotcha. Usually between number one and like something that low, there's a huge gap. But nothing super stood out and nothing really stood out and is awful to me either. So, yeah. All right. With that said, that does it for Shonen Jump this week. And we will talk about Assassination Classroom Volume 1 after the break. All right, so we read Assassination Classroom, Volume 1. This was your pick, Kevin. Literally the only thing I knew about Assassination Classroom was Kevin likes it. Yep. So you want to take the lead here? I can, but I do also want to get your take on it before I start going too much into why I liked it. All right, so I found it to be really interesting. It really wasn't what I expected. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed reading it. A thing I found very weird about the experience of reading it was I, a lot of times I talk about how volumes like hold up like as a unit in a way that I don't think Japanese marketing is as concerned with as I am. Yeah. But it has a kind of textbook cliffhanger that's an escalation of stakes that makes you want to like figure out what comes next. Yeah. And I really liked like the experience of reading it. But I also weirdly found that I wasn't super excited to pick up volume two after I was done with it. And, which is was a weird thing because like I said, I enjoyed volume one and I thought the cliffhanger was strong. I think it was just that even in reading this, it started to feel a little formulaic. There's I don't want to say there's a problem, but I guess it's hard to explain the premise. But basically it's about a Japanese class in which the teacher is a We'll say murderous alien. I don't think he's actually an alien. He's an octopus man. Yeah. A weird superpowered being. I wanted to talk about this a little later, but I got real Silver Age Superman vibes off him the longer I read it. Yeah. But there's continually this beat of the kids realizing, oh, like he's this weird murder teacher that I have to kill, but also he's trying to be a good teacher and like he's good at it. Yeah. But because the th we get that beat three different times with three different characters realizing it in this. But as the readers, we've already gotten that message, and I don't feel like it needs to be reinforced as much. Yeah. And it started to feel, like I said, kind of formulaic, 
Mm-hmm. And I could definitely see it going a completely different direction, but I already feel like I had got the gist of it in yeah. a weird way, just from this one volume, even though I enjoyed it. Yeah. So just like Jeremy said, we start off with, I actually like the opening of the manga, essentially. So it's all these kids in this Japanese classroom. And it's like, all right, stand for roll call. And we see all of them pulling out, like, assault rifles. It's a very striking image. And it's the first page turn you do if you're reading it. Yeah. Like, the first page is just like, okay, like, everybody stand. And then, like, it's a two-page splash of just all these kids with mostly assault weapons. Yep. Leveled at the teacher. Who is a weird octopus man with the watchman smiley as a face. Yep. But he's got kind of teacher they look like kind of like graduation robes they're like black robes and he's got a tie yeah i mean it definitely strikes the right image right yes it's hard to describe without just like showing a picture of it but yes yeah he is very weird to talk about without he definitely um, looks like a teacher like if he was a teacher in my hero academia you'd be like yeah that's about right yeah he's got a weird quirk yeah he's just he's some weird octopus man and so the general premise is that this superpowered being blew up 70% of the moon. It's now permanently a crescent moon. Yep. He can fly at Mach 20. That gets brought up a lot. Yes, he can fly at Mach 20. And he can just move at Mach 20, not just fly at Mach 20. Like, it's not It's not like he has to, like, build up speed or anything like that. So they, when they all point assault rifles at him, they start shooting. And he starts doing the flash, kind of, like, leaving images of himself as he's dodging all of the BBs, calling roll as they're attacking him. And so the kids, he demanded that he become the teacher of class 3E. And so the Japanese government is going to essentially give $10 billion to the person who assassinates this guy because he's like, at the end of your graduating year, I'm going to blow up 70% of the earth. Yes. But I promise not to, like, in exchange for being your teacher, I promise not to hurt any of you. Yes. So I won't hurt any of you. And you... He kind of, like, wants them to assassinate him, but he doesn't allow them to. It's a weird, like, he comes off as very encouraging. He wants them to, and a teacher, like, wants you to get into a good college, but also he doesn't want to be assassinated. Yes. Is, like, how it comes off. It's very strange. And, like, he provides them with all these super convenient weapons that cannot harm humans but are deadly to him. Yeah, he essentially has BB guns that are, so they shoot BBs that are deadly to him. But are they're BBs. So he's like, I mean, you you might like get hurt if it hits you in the eye, but for the most part, you're shooting BB guns at me, and you have these like rubber daggers that can cut through my flesh, but they're just rubber daggers, so they're not really gonna hurt anybody. Yeah. Which is super odd. I get it. Made me think of Kryptonite, uh, but that was more later when I got into more of the Superman comparisons. Yeah. Which I'll definitely get into probably a little later. So, like I said, basically the premise is that he's like this weird alien being that's going to destroy the planet, but also he does want to teach these kids. Yep. And I assume we find out more about why later, yes. but basically he promised somebody and it looks like, I assume that their old teacher was a woman and he promised her. Like there definitely seems to be something going on with that. Mm-hmm. Also, they're this weird class in this like super advanced school. That's like this punishment class. If your grades are low enough, you get put into this class and you're not allowed to participate in any extra activities. And like they're kind of bullied by all the other students and it's kind of allowed. They're in this annex off the campus. Yeah. Essentially, they are the bad example classroom. Like all of the other students work harder because they do not want to end in class 3E. 
which is as someone who is very briefly a teacher, this is an awful fucking institution. Yes. That like should not be allowed to work this way. But... No. And even somebody who's when we're getting the exposition of like why this works, somebody's like, that's extremely effective, but also extremely horrible. Like Oh yeah, we'll just we'll pick on that guy. So as long as you're not that guy, you feel better about yourself and try extremely hard to not be that guy. Essentially is the the vibe I'm getting off this. So it's like, oh, you got sent to 3E, you're screwed. I need to work hard so that I don't get sent to 3E. And I definitely see how this fantasy works for a Japanese student. I definitely get the power fantasy involved here and like kind of the weird sympathy vibe. But as someone who's not a student anymore and who's very American, it just kind of doesn't work for me in that same way. Our school system is definitely very different. So like this wouldn't work in like especially a public school setting. I mean, and to be fair, I don't think any real Japanese school would take up this sort of no, but uh, it, institution either. It has that vibe of like the kids can't do anything because they're in school and school puts a lot more pressure on kids. Yeah. So it even though this wouldn't happen in a Japanese school, this has a feeling that this school is very Japanese in its so like this wouldn't happen in the real world, but it's not so far removed that it's impossible versus over in America. It's like, oh, you don't want to end up in class 3E. Well, hey, we don't separate our classes at all. But and otherwise, it'd be like, all right, who cares that those kids just wouldn't show up to school anymore? Oh, well, there's that, too. I'm just saying that despite it being weird, as it went on, I did start to get the fantasy, especially as we see that he's actually a good teacher and he like takes time to figure out like what kids are going through and what their weaknesses are. Yeah. And there's also this funny, I don't want to say running gag because it's just another character, but this guy from the Ministry of Defense who is like basically telling them you're the guys who have to kill him becomes their PE teacher. Yep. And it's basically Assassination 101. Yes. Um, and he's also an interesting character who like also clearly is like, hey, these kids like don't deserve to be in this weird, like not even murder class, but this like subclass. Yeah, so he kind of feels bad that he's teaching him assassination techniques, but he's like, the world's going to die if I don't do this. So I kind of feel bad that I'm teaching these kids something, but at least I can try and make it not unbearable to be here anymore. Even as weird as it is that I'm teaching them assassination techniques, I can try and be the best teacher I can be to them so that they don't feel like, oh, you're in class 3E, you're screwed, nobody cares about you, like, I will be the person to care about you. Koro-sensei, the weird octopus teacher that is a Japanese pun. Yeah, well, and he says, hey, I never had a name. You should give me one. And one of the students is like, hey, Koro-sensei, because like, our teacher is sensei. But Koro-sensei is the word for invincible. So, yep. It just, the thing that, and again, I liked it while I was reading it. It had a fun vibe to it. And like the murder octopus is like very happy-go-lucky, mm-hmm. which is, again, I think part of why I went on those Superman vibes. But like, we follow a bunch of different characters and there does seem to be one student who's kind of the main character who's the first one that we kind of go through, but then yes. we're mostly focusing on other ones and Koro sensei is the only the real center point. And so again, it started to feel very repetitive. Yeah. It. So one thing I would recommend is watch the anime because this manga is finished and the anime is finished. So like the entire story arc is done. So you can watch not the whole thing in one sitting, but you can watch the whole thing in one go. You don't have to watch like, you know, the first Each two week. parts. And then, well, I more meant, like, you don't have to watch, like, the first couple of arcs. Yeah. So it's, like, with My Hero. Love My Hero. But 
it's a little bit easier to recommend because I think it's only it's not that many episodes. It's only like 70 episodes or something like that. Like it's not a very long series. And I really enjoyed it. I really like where it goes. I do agree. This kind of has that. It's not monster of the week. It's like assassination. Yeah, it's like student of the week. All right. This chapter is going to be focused on the chemistry girl who is like, I made this poison. Please eat it. And Koro Sensei at first doing it and getting these weird body transformations as part of a gag. But then him being like, listen, even though you're really good at chemistry and you struggle with language arts because you struggle expressing yourself, if you become an assassin, you can't be the poisoner who just goes, just drink this because people are going to use it against you like I did when I perfected a poison with you that ended up giving me the weird ability to turn into a liquid but still move at Mach 20. So you need to improve that part of yourself, too. You can't just be like, I'm going to be the chemistry person and not worry about how I communicate with people. Yeah, and it's not quite student of the week because there are like three chapters in a row devoted to one student. But Yeah. And once I'm sure once it was adapted to anime, it felt even more like that because those three chapters are about an anime episode. Yeah, the in first terms of story. Definitely the early episodes are it's basically introducing us to all of the students essentially one at a time. It's not something I minded because they're all very fun. I really like the voice actors. I really like the the anime flowed very well. But it does get a little bit repetitive, but it's like after you kind of get introduced to everybody, then the story starts expanding more. And I can see it. And like I said, I really enjoyed reading it. It was just even with the cliffhanger at the end, which I think is pretty good. I wasn't like, oh, man, where's volume two? I was like, that was pretty good. Well, I mean, the other upside is, is you can read this whole thing on Shonen Jump, That's which is true. how I did it. So read it all as one go. You can read it all as one go and you don't have to like, oh, man, I need to go out and buy volume two. It's like, yeah, I can just hit chapter eight now and just. Keep reading. Yeah, it's definitely worth a dollar ninety nine for that. If we're doing product review, I definitely think that's worthwhile. But like I said, I get really weird Silver Age Superman vibes off him, especially as it went on. When there's all his power, obviously. Yes. But also that he's constantly just being like, "Yeah, I went to Italy to get gelato. Yeah, I'm going to New York to catch a baseball game. Yep. I'm always going to Hawaii every morning for pineapples and stuff. Yeah. That combined with. Especially in like that Silver Age Super Dickery age that was all about like cover shock to get you to buy it. Yeah. Most of those stories were about Superman teaching his friends weird lessons. Yeah. That's honestly something I like about Assassination Classroom is a lot of it is Korosensei teaching his students how to assassinate Superman and being like, look at all these weird powers I have. I'm invincible. I'm unkillable. You can't do anything to me except you can. Even though you're just regular, ordinary humans, don't ever think that just because of our physical differences that you can't affect the world around you. And I really like that aspect of it. And it it doesn't show much in volume one, but it definitely comes out later that it's like, you kids can be amazing. I feel like that even comes through in volume one. Like I said, my problem is it keeps playing it like it's a reveal. Which is fine the first time, but the third time, I'm like, I get it. This guy is kind of on their side. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about Assassination Classroom? Again, like, if it sounds interesting to you, it's all on the Viz website, $1.99 a month. It's super worth it. So yep. you can check it out there. I don't th- have any problem making that recommendation. Yep. And then, so it's probably something I'm going to read through, even though I've seen the whole story through the anime. The anime is also very good. Something I really enjoyed. So I would recommend going to watch that i don't remember if it's funimation or crunchyroll that has it though 
And if you like call this in the future, I'm not going to be upset that we have to read more of it. I'm just not going to probably do it myself. Yeah, I might because the story does start picking up and getting going some really interesting directions. I really like a lot of the emotional moments in later on. So it's something that I might call again. It's something that we've talked about. What what are we going to be doing from here on out? Because we could just keep reading volume ones. I'm, there's hundreds of thousands of them. Like it would take forever. Like, part of me was wondering, what if it's year two, we do all volume twos. But I think like then we'd just be reading volume two of everything we read. And that's not what I want to do. Yeah. But definitely I want to start picking up going back to series we've already read more. Yeah. Okay, so if that's all we have to say, I think that brings us to personality power level. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? Personality power level is the segment where we rank manga characters from best to worst. At the top is someone who's surprisingly good at assassination, Uzumaki Naruto. Yep. At the bottom is someone who can't even assassinate themselves and doesn't even have a name. The guy who's not Yamcha from that time I got reincarnated as Yamcha. And the middle is Asta, who I think could do an assassin if he had to, but doesn't really seem like the type. He seems like the type. He could definitely. No, he would be the person who screams at the top of his lungs. I'm assassinating you now. Yeah. So who are we going to add from the list? Because I feel like the main character, especially now, is actually Koro Sensei. It's actually the the short kid, Nagisa. So, Nagisa. OK, I was going to ask you which one you want to do. Because from this first volume, I feel like I don't have much of a grasp on Nagisa at all. I mean, I know what he is. He's got like a propensity for planning. He's like documenting Koro Sensei's weaknesses. Yeah, like but I it said, doesn't he, feel like a main character. He he is the main character, but I do get your thinking. It's very similar vibes to what I had with Dragon Ball with Bulma and Goku. Yep, where it's like really in the first volume of Dragon Ball, Bulma's the main character and Goku's just there. And then Koro Sensei is a huge deal in Assassination Classroom. Like, he's definitely, I'm, I think the main, like, the lens character especially is Nagisa. We see a lot of the stuff through him as his lens, but everything revolves around Koro Sensei for Assassination Classroom. So I really don't know which one of the two to do either. I think, honestly, we should probably go with Koro Sensei if you don't really have a grasp yeah. of Nagisa. And it's not me being like, well, later on, this stuff happens and... Yeah, I definitely feel like I'm more equipped to rank Koro Sensei, even though I don't know what's going on with him in the future. And I do definitely think maybe he goes higher than I think, depending on where his story goes, or maybe lower than I think. It, Yeah, but I think that would be the best for right now. Like I said, he still is a very, he, everything revolves around him for Assassination Classroom. So he's definitely one of the main characters. So I'm totally fine with ranking him. So... Another character that often gets compared to Superman, though for very different reasons, is Goku. So how do you think he compares to Goku? Um, so I actually like Koro-sensei a lot more than Goku. Right now, Volume 1 Koro-sensei still has a lot of that vibe of the cheeky superhuman dude. So he pulls pranks, he's flaunts his power, but I really... We even see a bit of the motivation with... The dead woman telling him, like, teach them. Yeah. And that's just, like, a hint of his backstory. So I'm fine putting him above it if that's where you say you want to do it. But I would have put him below. So if we're deferring to you for this, we're basically deferring for you to you for where we put him. Which that, I'm fine with because you've seen all of it. But That's fine. I'm just letting you know. So another character that I defer to you mostly on his placement is Guts from Berserk. How do you think he compares to Guts? Hmm. 
this starts getting hard because I also don't want to give too much away if we're going to keep yeah, and talking like, about it. You don't have to give too much reason. Yeah. If you think it's spoilers or something. So I'm honestly going to say that I like Koro Sensei more because he's more of an upbeat character than Guts. Like, I enjoy Guts, but Guts is that downtrodden, like, hero rising out of the muck kind of thing. Versus Koro Sensei is a lot more upbeat, and I really like the teacher aspect of him. Like, he's really just there to teach those kids. Like, he even mentions the world's nations can't do anything against me. So I'm here to teach the kids, which is why the government agreed to this plan in the first place. And it really shows he puts a lot of time in thinking, all right, how am I going to deal with this kid? How am I going to help out this kid? How am I going to help them through this problem? And like we see some of that, even with all the superpowers, he still has to struggle with dealing with regular people. And all right, I need to be the best teacher ever. And just because I'm Superman doesn't mean I'm immediately going to be good at it. So right above Guts, we have a very upbeat character, Luffy from One Piece. How do you think he compares to Luffy? I do think I like Luffy more than Korra-sensei. Again, Nagisa is really the main character of Assassination Classroom. And I really like his character arc and how everything goes. But Korra-sensei, even though everything revolves around him, is still kind of that. He's the thing that everything happens to and happens around. Like, he still has some great character moments. And I really like him at the end of the series. But I think I would rate Luffy more right now because I always enjoy not always enjoy when Luffy's on screen but especially like we haven't seen Luffy in a while and he comes back into those big moments of like hey it's Luffy and he got super powered again I just always love those moments. So Koro Sensei will go number 8 below Monkey D. Luffy and above Guts. So that does it for this week so what are we going to be reading next week Jeremy? So we've got through almost all of the manga I read when I was reading manga when I was younger and really doing more anime but still reading manga, except for one, which is another theory is that I like the anime a lot more and paid a lot more attention to that. But I did have a couple volumes of the manga and I did read it, and that is Yu-Gi-Oh! All right. So I have, obviously I watch the anime a lot, but I've never read any Yu-Gi-Oh! So but, this but, will... but you know, like Yu Yu Hakusho, the manga is super different at first, right? Yes. They're actually very comparable in that specific way. Yeah. So I am interested because I know a bit of the what the difference is like. So I'm interested to see exactly what it's like. All right. So we will be talking about Yu-Gi-Oh! next week. Until then, www.lastpodcast.com is our website. You can check out our past episodes there or join our Discord where we talk about anime sometimes. I'm almost caught up on everything I'm watching now. So there might actually be some discussion there. Huzzah. Our opening theme is Fighting Against One's Will by Midair Machine. Our closing theme is A Psychic Fist Fight by Tom W. Emerit. Other music is by Spectacular Sound Productions, and our art is by Kate Wind on DeviantArt. Is there anything you'd like to plug, Kevin? Not this week. All right. Have a great week. <laughs>